And open your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. We're in a series on Revelation strength for today, hope for tomorrow. But it's when Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, this is the Word of God. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders who addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they're before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Join me, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, what great hope we have that Your word stands forever, that it's certain and true. So, Father, from this word, Father, speak to us today. Strengthen us, we pray. Our certainty, our expectation, Lord, our hope, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jesus opens the six seals in Revelation 6, uh, pointing to the devastating judgment of God that's coming on the whole earth uh, between Christ's ascension into heaven and His return uh, uh, from heaven, The fear gripping the people is so palpable that we read the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Now the question itself Seems to be rhetorical. Looks like they're expecting the answer, no one. Uh, But as we saw in the first part of chapter 7 last week, that's not exactly true. There will be people standing. And this week in the second vision that we find in Revelation 7, it makes it even clearer about that standing. So let's go to the text and see. Uh, First, uh, an amazing sight. Notice verse 9 begins, after this. Meaning John's about to tell us something else that God's made known to him. Now remember we said last week, and this is critical uh, to understand Revelation, John's not laying out a chronology of events sequenced from chapter 1 through chapter 22. Uh, And not that here's chapter 1, here's chapter 2, chapter 3, and so on. He's given us chronology of the visions he received. What that means is when we look at a vision like this, like you saw in chapter 7, verses 1 to 8, now we see here, they're not sequentially after those events of chapter 4 and 5 and 6. These, in fact, are at the same time as we saw last week. So what's John about to tell us? 
Let's remember last week, I'm sorry it was a lot of technical stuff. John heard something. He heard about the 144,000 of God who were to be sealed. And we suggested they're the ones who will stand through the judgments of chapter 6. We said it represents an earthly view of the church, 144,000 being a, a symbolic number of the complete people of God who've been gathered together, mobilized on earth to serve God. Um, and hence we sang on, we're Christian soldiers. And I can emphasize, this is what we heard, it says in verse 4. Now why is that important? Remember back in chapter 6, uh, John's weeping that no one's found who's able to open the seven seals of that scroll. And then what happens? One of the elders speaks up and tells them that the line of Judah is worthy and that he, in fact, is conquered. And so when John turns to look at what he heard about the line of Judah, what does he see? He sees a lamb. He hears one thing and he sees another. He expects to see a lion, but he sees a lamb. And here in chapter 7, John hears a voice telling him about the 144,000. And now he turns, and what does he see? He says, I looked, and behold. And we see behold, in other words, he says, wow, you're not going to believe this. But what I see is a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. See, he doesn't see 12 uh, neat groups of 12,000 people each arrayed for battle. But rather, John sees all the people of God, from Adam and Eve until the last believer before Christ comes. He sees what we call in the Apostles' Creed the Holy Catholic Church, the, the great universal church made up of all believers. And these are men, women, boys, and girls from every tribe on the nation of the earth. And every generation. And they're too innumerable to count. They're every skin color, social class, language, ethnic group, century. And they're all standing. The promise to Abraham that he would be a blessing to all the nations on earth is fulfilled. And it's a multitude of nations, Genesis 17 tells us. More than the stars of heaven. Genesis 15 tells us. We saw a foreshadowing of this in in Acts chapter 2. When on the day of Pentecost, the people responded to the gospel. It says, included Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, uh, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ has remarkable diversity. Every nation, there are city dwellers and rural people, people on the coast, the plains, the mountains, the islands. They have great unity. We're told in verse 3, they're all servants of God. They're all wearing the same white robes. They're all holding palm branches in their hands. And they're all singing the same song. Clothed in white robes means they're holy, they're purified. Indeed, the promise made to the church in Sardis, we saw back in the letters, was that they would walk in white garments with Jesus, and it comes to pass. 
the palm branches in their hands is, is a mark of victory. In John's gospel, when he describes Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he says everybody's waving palm branches. By the way, looking at this week, something I'd never noticed before, but you know, John's the only gospel writer to says they're waving palm branches. Uh, Matthew and Mark both say they, they laid them on the ground. That's just some trivia when you get on Jeopardy so that you'll know it, okay? Uh, I don't think there's any deep meaning in that. Uh, but why the great celebration? Jesus, the Lamb, the Lion of Judas, triumphed. He's defeated Satan. He's defeated sin, death, the grave. And so we have true joy just to simply celebrate Jesus. And everybody in the throne room is joining the victory celebration. I mean, think about the singing of this hymn, this song of triumph, with people from every nation, every language joining as one, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What happened at the Tower of Babel is completely reversed. They're all singing together in one language. And what are they singing? What Babel, they sang, salvation belongs to us. We will save ourselves with this tower. We will climb this stairway to heaven. And God judged them. God scattered them all around the face of the earth. But in heaven's throne room, because Jesus came down from heaven for us, because Jesus came and saved us, the song we will sing as salvation belongs to our God. Salvation is God's gift to us. Salvation is given because God's acted in time and space to save us. So friends, this is the the whole church singing. And somehow, as, as we mentioned a few moments ago, we're joining in this worship with them every time we sing. That's the mystic, sweet communion that we just sang about in in the church's one foundation. With those whose rest is one. When we sing, this is the song we're joining in. So don't look at our our hymn singing as just singing to to one another here in this place. Our singing's not about us. Our worship's not about us. It's far more than that. We sing with those in heaven to glorify the God of the universe, seated on his throne, and the Lamb who's triumphed for us. And then listen. Do you hear what I hear? There's a core response to the singing of the church, verse 11. And all the angels were standing all around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne. And they worship God, saying, and literally, friends, it's this. It has the definite article each time. Amen. The blessing and the glory and the wisdom and the thanksgiving and the honor and the power and the might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The elders, the angels, the four living creatures are so overwhelmed with the desire to praise God after hearing the multitude that they fall down on their faces and worship in all the fullness of praise and adoration. Now, why do we say fullness? Did you count how many attributes of God were mentioned there? How many? Seven. Good. All right. Got it. Uh, That's the only answer that you're going to give. All right. Uh, And to be sure, there are many more attributes of God that could be mentioned. But seven represents, we've seen in Revelation, completeness or fullness. 
Um, and so with, with the definite article, uh, he's saying this. He's saying that it's the blessing. Not, not just a blessing. It's the greatest blessing. Nor the blessing of pairs. And not just glory, but the glory. The only true glory. Not just wisdom, but the wisdom. All-knowing was not just power, but the power, infinite power. We're to be overwhelmed at the majesty and the awesomeness of God. And then John is asked a key question. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these? Clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So John's asked to identify, who are these people? And rightly, he does what I would hope we would do. He defers to the elder for the answer. Uh, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. By the way, tribulation is only called great twice in the Bible here and in Matthew 24, 21. And notice it says, coming out to ourselves already in John's day, believers experienced great tribulation, and they came out of it. They died, and they went to be with the Lord. So it's not just at the end of time, as we know it on earth. Great tribulation started with Jesus' ascension and continues till Jesus comes again. And that lines up with the rest of the New Testament. Paul tells the Thessalonians that, that they'll suffer persecution. He tells Timothy the same thing. He, in fact, he told Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we are just now in our nation being confronted with how counter-cultural Christianity really is. And that's why persecution's beginning. To paraphrase Greg Beale, the great tribulation has begun in the present and will be intensified in its severity at the end of history. So even as the gospel grows and the church grows, so will the tribulation of God's people. But no matter the persecution, Jesus is building his church. We should anticipate this trans- tribulation on our journey through a fallen world. Uh, and we do so with hope because we see saints have gone through this and they've now entered the rest. They've already persevered because their robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. They identify themselves with the Lamb who was slain for their sins on the cross. Likewise, we are those whose clothes are white because ironically we've washed them in the blood of the Lamb. A few years ago, you remember there was a TV show, What Not to Wear? All right, specialized in helping uh, people who had terrible taste in clothes, uh, learn fashion rules on how to dress sharply, all right, choose appropriate clothes. Uh, and they did a way, I remember when I grew up, there was a rule, no white shoes after uh, Labor Day, right? I never wore white dress shoes after Labor Day growing up. I never wore white shoes, I'll just say that. Um, well, here's what to wear. Everybody's dressed in white. Uh, the key to these clothes is how they became white again. They're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Again, Isaiah 1, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be as wool. 
We also see this picture in Zechariah 3 where the, the high priest Joshua is standing before God and being accused by Satan of being a great sinner. And he's, he's wearing clothes that are, I suppose he thought were stylish, but it turns out they're stained by sin. They're, they're ruined by sin. Listen to what happens. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Joshua was standing there before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. Then he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. So Jesus is standing there, the angel of the Lord, and the orders are given to clothe Joshua in pure clothes. And so his sin-stained clothes are removed, and he's given pure clothes. And the Bible frequently uh, uses dirty clothes to refer to our sin and clean clothes to refer to, to purity or salvation. Uh, what we're not to wear is, a, is our own record of, 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 of sin. What we are to wear is the very righteousness of Christ. Wardrobe gives to us based on the finished work of Christ at the cross when he took our sin upon himself. And remember, when it comes to his children to his people, to the church. Jesus is cross-eyed. He sees us through the lens of the cross. He sees us as pure and holy because God looks at us. He sees Jesus. What are we saying? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But again, notice something. They come out of the great tribulation. Friends, whatever tribulation we face in this world, whatever persecution comes our way, we will come out of it. We will come out of it. The best is yet to be. We've got to keep eternity in view. Therefore, they're before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence you know, that word shelter there is translated in John 1.14 as, speaking of Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's translated as dwelt. And the literal translation would be tabernacled or pitched his tent. That is, Jesus tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent among us. Uh, the, tabernacle, the tabernacle in the Old Testament was God pitching his tent like he was camping among his people. God desires to dwell among us, the Emmanuel Principle. And now it says here, here that God tabernacles among his people from every tribe and peoples and tongues. A multitude cannot be counted. He pitches his tent over us to shelter us, to care for his people. And God's amazing care for his people is in view here. Go back to what we said from Psalm 100 last week. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his we are His people. We're the sheep of His pasture. Isaiah 49, God promised the people of Israel this. He said, They shall hunger, not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For He has pity on them, will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. So what God promised Old Testament Israel, that's exact promise to us here and now. Again, what's it look like? They shall hunger no more. 
neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He zeroes in there on four things, hunger, thirst, heat, and grief. Uh, I doubt that, uh, that many of us know what it is to truly be hungry, though we've been told that uh, there will be global hunger coming up, uh, hunger coming up uh, later this year, perhaps. Uh, in eternity, there's no hunger. There's no thirst for water. Uh, as, as our shepherd for all eternity, Jesus will, will guide us to springs of living water. The Jesus who said in John 7, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Is the Jesus who was the rock from which they drank it there in the wilderness. It's that Jesus who promises here and later in Revelation, the climactic promise, let the one who's thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Heed the offer Isaiah gives, come all you thirst, uh, come to the waters. So what about the heat? The scorching August sun that's coming starting tomorrow? Not going to be there anymore. Not going to need any sunscreen. No more of those burning trips to the dermatologist. All right, think about that. And then our grief. Every tear will be wiped away. You know, maybe that's the greatest news. Every tear. Now, why do we shed tears in this world? It's really simply our sorrow over the devastating impact that sin has on the world and on our daily lives that brings so much pain. I came across this a quote this week. It's by a woman named Louise Penny, a writer. The book's called The Nature of the Beast. And in the book, she has a comment about a woman whose husband had at some time before died suddenly and, and was in, in grief. Um, and maybe Louise Penny captures grief uh, better than anybody. And, and some of you I know will identify with this. It sounds all too true. She writes that Clara knew that grief took a terrible toll. It was paid at every birthday, every holiday, every Christmas. It was paid when glimpsing the familiar handwriting or a hat or a balled-up sock. We're here in a creek that could have, should have been a footstep. Grief took its toll each morning, each evening, every noon hour, as those who were left behind struggled forward. Uh, you know, the tears that we shed in our lives that come from our grief, they come from broken hearts, they come from disappointment, failure, regret, pain, Conflict, yes, our sin. But one day, they'll all be wiped away. All our tears are wiped away. I mean, do we anticipate that? You know, that promise of Johnson & Johnson's baby shampoo, that I'm not sure all is entirely true, having bathed some babies in my lifetime, no more tears? Well, Jesus' promise is true. That day's coming. So what about us? Who can stand on the day of the Lord's judgment? Well, very simply, those marked and sealed as God's treasure, as we saw last week. And now those whose clothes are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Believe the cross, He paid the penalty for our sins. We are those who belong to Jesus through faith. 
and hence we can stand. Leads me to ask the critical question today. Each, each person here needs to answer. Are your robes washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you certain? And if you're not, become certain. See me. See somebody here that you know knows that can tell you today. And as those who stand, let's make worship the most of worship with God's people every week. Remember, the significance of what we do today is that we, it anticipates what lies ahead and allows us even now to participate in what's going on in the throne room of heaven. The peace and unity we enjoy today is the body of Christ uh, in this hour together as we separate from the fallen world around us for these, uh, this time period. Uh, gives us a taste of what we're going to enjoy one day when sin is defeated and we're with the Lord forever. And it's this worship that gives us strength for today and gives us hope for tomorrow. Our worship and our daily walk should reflect eternal satisfaction with God and His amazing promises. Keep in mind, ironically, life in this world usually begins with some tears, has tears in the middle, and always has tears at the end. But all who are in Christ Jesus will receive eternal comfort from the Lord who is our shepherd. Jesus told his disciples in the upper room when I was betrayed, in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Friends, with our garments washed in the blood of the Lamb, we have the certainty of eternity, which strengthens us to persevere through grief and tribulation and suffering. Indeed, what motivates us to persevere through all of life, the pain, the joy, the heartache, the triumph, and what we see here going on in eternity, the worship of God, the promises of God. Friends, let me tell you, The best is yet to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that when our clothes are washed in the blood of the Lamb, that, Father, we've made made right with you through the death of Jesus Christ, that, Father, we're yours forever. That, Father, we have the privilege to worship even now, to join with the saints Lord, those whose watch are keeping and crying out, how long? Father, those uh, who are your people. Uh, Father, we thank you for the mystic sweet communion we share with them, the privilege we have. So, Father, you've done so much for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we claim these promises that one day there'll be no more Uh, Father, there'll be no more uh, hunger, no more thirst, no more heat. Father, no more tears. What an amazing promise. And Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't yet know that promise, Father, that hope, Lord, show them your son today. Take them from death to life, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.